and welcome to Cookie Pocket, an attempt at a podcast, episode 19. Today, we will be discussing The Usual Suspects, a 90s mystery thriller film, you might say, that uh, stars Kevin Spacey and Gabriel Byrne, among others. And uh, it sort of culminates in uh, this lineup of five criminals that are all accused of hijacking a truck. And uh, after this initial accusation, they sort of form a band and run jobs and they run into this um, enigmatic sort of villain named Kaiser Soze, who all of them have indirectly crossed at some point in their criminal career. And they are basically enlisted to do a job for him. And uh, they have no choice but to go through with said job because uh, Kaiser Soze knows everything about all of them. And yeah, there's a, there's a big twist ending at the end of this movie. So I would especially advise our viewers to watch this before listening to this pod. But um, with all that being said, um, I'll open the floor to both of you guys. What were your general impressions and ratings out of five? Um, I thought it was good. I thought it was fine. Um, I had never watched this all the way through before. I had seen little scenes from it, and I had seen excerpts from it, um, and unfortunately I knew the twist ending, uh, years and years ago before I even got into film. I just watched, like, a list of ten best twist endings in cinema, and this happened to be on there. That's terrible. Um, So I think that definitely (laughs) had a big impact on my viewing. Um, but I think this is a, it's a good movie. It's an entertaining movie. It's got a good cast. It's well-directed. I think this might be the most fun I've had in a, in a Brian Singer film, at least with the direction. Um, I think Brian Singer tends to make competent movies, but he doesn't make movies that necessarily splash out as being these amazing spectacles. And I think this movie kind of is maybe the most fun of his movies. Um, but I think overall, if, if you kind of, if you have a certain degree of experience with the genre of film noir, this movie probably isn't going to, astonish you as much as it did viewers in the 90s and if you have even a the slightest inkling of what the twist ending might be i also don't think it's gonna astonish you quite as much as it did general audiences in the 90s so it's fine three out of five but uh it it didn't blow me away i had originally given this film a two out of five (laughs) i know me and roger ebert are 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 in the corner yelling at everyone else (laughs) you and raj (laughs) yes me and raj (laughs) Um, I decided to give it a two and a half out of five. I thought that was appropriate. And the reason why is not because of the direction, because I thought the direction was pretty good, and not because of the acting, because I thought the acting was pretty good. In fact, I think that was my favorite part. Mm-hmm. But because I just, I do not, I think this genre is a bit overused, and I feel like, well, there's obviously a lot of, of cliches in this, and I, I, I was perfectly fine with them. I think it was because of the direction and cinematography, I think it was played off pretty well. Um, but the really the big thing for me is just the plot, and I understand the whole point was the fact was the fact that it was supposed to be convoluted, and there's supposed to be a lot of these intricacies between the five men and how they were you know Kobayashi and whatever the hell his name is and the uh, um, Soze Kaiser Soze uh, <laughs> the boogeyman, um, and that was that was an interesting concept I think. on paper it sounds like it could become something really cool and for me i felt like the way that spacey's character was describing the stories and the way that he was kind of piecing everything together 
I, it was just, it was, it was almost too much for me to understand. And I put on, I put on closed captions. So I, I made sure I got everything straight and I still never got everything straight, <laughs> but I guess the fact that there was kind of holes in his story kind of lends to the fact that obviously the twist was that the whole thing was made up and he was so say the whole time. And I did not like that. I liked the way that it was executed, the twist. It's, I think it's, it was executed beautifully. I would never, I wouldn't change a single thing about the way that they executed it and how mm-hmm. that whole, that drama, I think that is definitely a timeless, you know, that's not 90s <laughs> at all. I think that's very timeless the way that they executed that. But I just, I did not, I could not hold on, very, I could not hold on to the fact that they did that and the fact that they w- would just say, but guess what? This whole, this was an unreliable narrator the whole time. And, you know, you were supposed to be led to believe that he, that you try to figure out all the different intricacies. And I just, I just didn't care. I never found a real reason to actually care about any, about any of the subplots or any of those flashback sequences. Sure. The way that they were shown and the way that they were actually like, you know, and in those moments, I thought it was pretty cool. And, you know, there's, you know, you can definitely lend a lot of credibility to that and to the direction of those scenes. But in, in the broader scheme of things, I just, I never found a reason to actually care. That's that's my biggest criticism. So two and a half out of five. Wow, I'm very surprised. I thought that there was a real chance that uh, you would like this the most of the three of us, Mitchell. But oh, wow. um, yeah, I, I love this movie. <laughs> I gave it a a four point five out of five because I think it's a perfect example of every every little thing put into this film is extremely deliberate. Um, and uh, Mitchell, you talked a little bit about how the the flashbacks and the idea of the unreliable narrator. And it's true that um, the vast majority of the time we're seeing Verbal's version of the events, the way that he tells them to the police officer. But at the very beginning, we see what the actual ending is. And we get that hint of the golden watch and the golden lighter. And um, this is my second time watching the movie. The Mm -hmm. first time I was, I was blown away by the twist. I, I totally didn't see it coming at all. And um, this time, I actually loved it a lot more than the first time because I could actually pick up on the little hints that were placed throughout the movie. And uh, just literally, it feels like every single line and interaction in this entire movie is so deliberate and serves the plot and the unraveling towards this twist that they're trying to achieve. And um, personally, I didn't I don't really see any subplots per se at all. I understand that there were flashbacks and there's kind of that inciting incident of the five of them being caught in the lineup. But personally, I, I didn't really, I, I didn't find anything to be a subplot, so to speak. I, I think everything sort of factors into the who is Kaiser Soze and eventually the, the final job that they all have to pull. Uh, especially because um, we, we learned that verbal is being interrogated about, all the all these events that have already occurred so even these these uh smaller isolated events are all kind of packed into the same plot for me personally but Mm -hmm. um yeah i thought the acting was great and i i thought this is one of the best screenplays ever and there were a lot of little moments sort of like um the uh no country for old men where Mm -hmm. we were like wow everyone wishes they wrote that line like um especially um well there's there's firstly there's when verbal is using items around the room to uh, make up these false stories. But um, I think to me, the best lines are lines like the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world. He did not exist. And like that, he's gone. 
like to me that's that's an example of perfect screenwriting and um kevin spacey won an oscar and the screenplay won an oscar so there's yeah. that I would say this is the kind of screenplay, um, at least from my perspective, that's really fun to write. Um, mm-hmm. And when you're writing a screenplay like this, I imagine you're getting to the end and you're like, oh, everything here is perfect. I, I love that I wrote this. But at least for me, it's not an especially fun screenplay to watch executed. Just because kind of going along with Mitchell, I, I think it is, this is a problem I have with a lot of older noir films that this is kind of yeah. taking influence from. Sometimes the plots are so convoluted that your brain just gets to a point where it's like, okay, I'm just sick of trying to keep track of all these threads, and it sort of just gives up. And I kind of reached that point with this, because I don't necessarily have a problem with a convoluted plot, but I think a convoluted plot needs to at least give you a little a little handle of sense to kind of hold onto and get pulled through by. And I don't think the handle is like, long or firm enough in this film for you to really grab on and be pulled the entire length of the movie. I think about halfway, I was like, okay, I'm just going to let this thing wash over me because I, I my brain is tired of trying to connect everything. Um, but I, I know a lot of people love it, so maybe that's just an experience me and some selective other people have had with it. I think that's a fair comment. And um, I, I think I actually kind of had a similar experience in terms of trying to figure everything out that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um at some point, I definitely at least somewhat gave up on trying to follow every um, backstory. And, like, I, I, I couldn't uh, give you specifics about who did what in their past criminal records. But um, I guess, uh, from my perspective at least, a lot of those subtle beats are less necessary to track in order to get the full effect of the twist, mm-hmm. for me at least. But, um, yeah, that's just where I'm coming from. Um but then I would say that it's more like an excuse then, um, you could say. What's an excuse? I, I'm just saying, like, you could say that, that anything that's convoluted is convoluted just for the sake of the plot, because that's, that's the twist, is that that just explains everything. Except this is a mystery thriller. I mean, and and the, the entire purpose of this, this movie is to lead the viewer astray, and the entire time we're getting Verbal's version of the events. So I think that if you're, if we're calling that an excuse, then I think we're critiquing the outset of the film and what the film is trying to do rather than the way that they went about doing it. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that, like Zach had mentioned, this being a part of that genre, you could pretty much just say Kaiser Soze was involved in this. You could easily just pin him into any, you know, drug deal or any, you know, gangbang or anything that happens and pretty much just say... Somehow Kaiser Soze was involved in this. And then that would be just like, that's what I meant by like a subplot. Like you could pretty much just connect him into pretty much anything. And that would just, that would just help the runtime. That's what it felt like to me. I'm not saying it was actually an excuse. I'm just saying it could very easily have been used in a, as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I think part, an additional kind of part of the issue, Christian, you brought up that it was a, a mystery thriller. Um, it's something I generally like about mysteries, uh, in a a lot of noir films, not all of them, is that you sort of get the opportunity, you're introduced to characters, and you get the opportunity to kind of suspect them, and almost form your own case as to, you know, who you think is Kaiser Soze, or you, you get evidence from what's shown to you in the movie, and you kind of form your own suspicions, and I think this movie was kind of so complicated, I wasn't really able to do that. Um, and I was kind of unsure of whether or not the writer and director wanted me to be able to do that. 
Um, if they didn't, well, they succeeded. <laughs> but if, yeah. if they did want me to be able to make those suspicions, I don't think it quite worked. I would probably argue that they didn't, especially on a first viewing. Um, like, I picked up on much more this time than I did the first time, and I definitely couldn't, even after a second viewing, I couldn't relate to you all the specific beats of of the verbals uh, presentation of past uh, runs or hits or whatever that that, that group has done. So mm -hmm. I, I see your point there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wanted to cover uh, what one of the more iconic bits from this movie, which is the lineup at the oh, outset yes. when, when they get uh, all five of these suspects, the usual suspects, of yeah. course, and they hand them this this line that is very profane and they all <laughs> take take their turns saying it in their own um, personal characterized manner, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you guys, um, did the lineup work for you? Was that an interesting introduction to the characters? And did any of those five stick out to you as particularly interesting? Um, Benicio del Toro gang. Yeah. yeah. He, he was pretty <laughs> funny. Um, I did like that. I did like that lineup. Um, but like I had said, I think there's a lot of scenes in this that I really like on their own. And this is definitely one of them. Um, that just, just them all butchering it and just being very extremely well acted and very, you know, just a few all the time is definitely fits their character. I don't think it was, you mm -hmm. know, that's not like a, just a, a cliche they tacked on. I think they definitely use their own acting abilities to portray their, their individuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like the lineup scene as well. I think the lineup is probably my favorite scene in the movie. Um, and I think part of why it works so well is potentially by accident. I was doing some reading up on the film, and apparently, mm -hmm. as scripted, the lineup was a totally serious scene. And mm -hmm. Stephen Baldwin decided with the other actors, let's see if we can make Gabriel Byrne laugh. Um, and so that's <laughs> why everybody's breaking up, because they were all trying to get Gabriel Byrne, wow. Byrne to laugh. And apparently they succeeded. Um, I kind awesome. of wish that scene was longer because apparently they did tons of takes with them just improving random stuff, and I think that would have been a really great introduction to the various different characters, even more so than we have. Um, mm -hmm. If we had seen a little bit more of kind of the just casual interactions between them there, um, but yeah, I think it totally works in its current form. Probably the best scene in the movie for me. Oh wow, yeah, it's it's definitely up there for me. I think it's a it's a really good example of showing and not telling you how all these characters function in their own spheres and with one another. And um, I personally, I really love it upon second viewing because it's one of the sort of subtle hints you get that verbal is a lot more competent and controlled than you realize he is mm -hmm. because um, we get Stephen Baldwin as McManus. We get him going completely over the top and adding additional curse words and doing the <laughs> finger gun and whatever. And then, um, Benicio del Torre says it in a thick accent, and they're like, in English, please. And uh, then we finally get to verbal. And uh, the, the first half of the phrase being, hand me the keys, verbal emphasizes, hand me the keys, which might, <laughs> might seem like an incidental thing. Mm -hmm. But to me, I think, is, is a very measured and intentional moment where verbal emphasizing his own pronoun and his place in that sentence is i i see it as a subtle clue that he is much more in control and more competent than this um sort of a uh, fake disabled um a sort of disguise he builds for himself that he maintains mm -hmm. um throughout the course of the movie yeah um 
I also wanted to ask you guys how you felt about the story essentially being told out of chronological order. Now, I think we kind of already touched on this because (laughs) we were a little dissatisfied at the convoluted bits and um, some of the flashbacks, but did parts of it work for you? Um, Were there specific flashbacks or bits that they showed out of order that made more or less sense in the order they were presented? And could you guys give me a little more uh, specifics about how you felt about those? Yeah. I was never really confused as to when things were necessarily. I think if you're paying attention hard enough, I think you could pretty much know where when everything was. And and even that, I mean, it's like as long as you know that it's a flashback, I think that's pretty much all you really need to know. Um, but mm-hmm. I I was not bothered by the fact that they went out of order very much. I I don't really remember any scenes that su- stuck out a whole lot. Um, what was the one with, uh, Red, what's his name, with the one with Red, Red, Red Foot? Red Foot, <laughs> yeah. Which is not the actually Red Foot one. his name? No. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, I like that scene. Um, I think that might be, like, my favorite flashback scene, I think. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the, there's not, like I said, I mean, there's not, it didn't really bother me that much. I, I think I understand why they, they did it that way, and I think it served the main purpose of the plot. Mm-hmm. I, my issue was not necessarily with things being told out of order necessarily, because I think, although maybe that's not necessarily, uh, the easiest or most enjoyable way to hear a story or watch a story, I think it's definitely valid. My issue came with things that they chose to apparently just leave totally off screen, uh, because about in the middle of the movie, uh, Benicio Del Toro's character, Fenster, I think it's Fenster, um, is is killed and i don't know if i just passed out for a minute and totally missed it or something but i feel like he's alive we cut to the interrogation with kevin spacey's character and then we cut back and there's a body on the ground and it's him and for me that was a a very jarring moment and a moment of like i mean it felt like somebody just took a scissors and 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 cut that moment like the moment of his death out of the movie and i understand that since Kevin Spacey's character is uh, Kaiser Soze, um, that th- the reason that wouldn't be shown is because he would have to be the one shown killing him, I suppose, or giving the order to kill him. But I think there are ways you could have shot some kind of a death for his character so he could be shown that rather than just having Benicio thrown on the sand in, in like a single cut. I-, I found that a really jarring moment, and I'm not really sure why they chose to do that. I, okay, I I mostly understand that choice personally because um, both the the events with the group before that moment and the moment itself are when Verbal is expressing his version of the events. Mm-hmm. So, um, and given that one, Verbal's not, obviously not going to tell the police officer of any occasion when he's acting as Kaiser Soze against the group. Yeah. And two, like you said, preserving the reveal that he is Kaiser Soze. I think that, your analysis of how that death scene works is absolutely true and absolutely deliberate. Someone does take a pair of scissors and cut out that death scene because it suits Verbal's purpose in the movie. And what he is trying to delude the police officer into believing. uh, See, I would understand that, but I mean, he tells them that since we're seeing it, presumably he told them that that body on the beach was Fenster. So Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need to see like, a scene where somebody walks in on Fenster and goes, "You've you've mumbled your last, sir," and then and then kills him. <laughs> like just maybe a shot, like a single shot of him turning around and then the barrel of a gun going off or something, just to establish okay. he's dead now, 
so that in between that cut, we aren't suddenly left with, wait, who's on the sand? Like, because oh, that threw me off, like, the whole scene. <laughs> Would you be more or less confused if they showed Benicio being killed? I think I would be less confused because the confusion didn't come from why did he die or, uh, you know, what are the events that led to his death? Uh, the, the confusion led to who's on the sand and how, like, it, it was less a confusing thing. I mean, it, it put me off for the scene where they are messing with the body on the sand. But then it was kind of an issue of like, well, I feel like that's a major show don't tell. Um, I mean, it just felt like, typically in your screenplay, you've got the scenes, and then you've got transitional moments to get to the scenes. And it just felt like somebody kicked that, like, transitional moment out of the screenplay, and it made a lot more jarring. Um, I think I feel like I would have been less jarred if I had seen a barrel gun shocked Benicio face. Um, but, I mean, if they're intending to jar the viewer, which I don't necessarily think is a great goal, but if they were intending to do that, they certainly did it for me. Well, so was Verbal saying that Kobayashi killed him? No, Verbal was saying that Kobayashi directed the four of them uh, to uh, Finster's body because Finster was trying to run away to show, if any of you try to do this, you will end up dead as well. Uh-huh. And then they so. kidnap Kobayashi, right? Or they try to. Yeah, they tried to, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think, personally, I think they were definitely trying to jar the audience because... Um, the uh, Kaiser and Kobayashi, in quotes, are definitely trying to jar the other four criminals um, mm -hmm. with that scene. So I, I think it's just another example of seeing Verbal's version of the events. But mm -hmm. again, if you guys are opposed to that concept, then yeah, that's going to be a major issue for pretty much all of the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, just, I, I wanted to... Uh, go ahead, I, I feel like there are other scenes, though, that like where verbal is telling us what happens where we don't necessarily see him in direct proximity to the action though like at the end there's like if if we're going on the logic that like the reason that scene uh, the reason a scene of like fenster's running away is cut is because verbal isn't there to witness it then i feel like there's lots of stuff that takes place on like the boat at the end that was it uh, hockney killed on the boat was it hockney i i th i i'm not totally okay, sure okay but all of the events on the boat uh, verbal is there to witness right i know he's on the see that's an additional thing i mean i we're, we're getting into a very <laughs> no. deep rabbit hole here but i think the ending that concept of like verbal has to be there also kind of starts to fall apart a little bit because we cut directly from kaiser soze like killing people to verbal hiding behind a stack of crates which means he must be like the fastest man on planet Earth to go on right. and off the boat and on and off and on and off. But that's, but. that's because, and then we see Verbal observing uh, a different Kaiser from, from a distance who encounters Keaton, but that's obviously not the real version of the events. You have to remember that those scenes are what Verbal is telling the police officer, not what actually happened. Yes, and, th and that's where my issue comes in. Because if he's going to tell scenes to the officer that Verbal, in, in quotation marks, wasn't present for then I feel like we could have seen Benicio running away and being killed if Verbal technically wasn't present for it. But, but Verbal is present for those. For, okay. for his version of the, of the events on the boat. Verbal oh, and the man. ones that he's telling a police officer about, he is present for those. My brain is gone. <laughs> <laughs> see, I get that he's, in his version of the events, he's on the dock. Yeah. yeah. And he's there to 
have an idea of what's happened. Um, uh-huh. But I feel I feel like his version of the events, he couldn't have strictly witnessed everything that happened on and in the boat itself. Like, there's scenes that take place, but there's a scene between um, McManus and Keaton, like, inside the boat, that Verbal could not have seen. I mean, he could have interpreted yeah. or inferred. Um, and my sure. question is just, if we have scenes that he's interpreting and inferring that he's telling to the police, I feel like Verbal, once again, quotations could have interpreted or inferred Benicio's death to tell to the policeman. But I feel like we're getting hung up on this okay. now, so... Fair enough. Yeah, it just, um, it just threw me off. Yeah. Um, my next question for you guys is about Kaiser Soze, who's mm-hmm. kind of the thematic main point of the movie, I guess, and where every character and every question and every every unresolved scene kind of turns back to Kaiser Soze, who is this dark mysterious boogeyman of sorts and um i wanted to ask you guys did you think he was an effective villain do you think this fear of the unknown man and this sort of fable told to criminals or criminals children was that effective to you uh before you get the reveal that verbal is kaiser and was it effective to you after or uh what did you feel in general about this idea of the main villain of the movie being someone we never really see. Yeah. Maybe maybe if we had seen like maybe maybe if we had heard a lot less about him and and seen more things that he actually did, like they they I guess they could have been more creative with the cinematography that way. Maybe that would have helped me like not just think of him like as like a side thing. And not not like a side thing, but like as like the boogeyman type thing. And I think he was a relatively effective villain, I guess. I mean, I just I, not even seeing, like, barely any physical representation of him, you know, besides, like, the boat, pretty much, is, like, that. that's what really bothers me. And I, I don't know. Like, like maybe, like, we saw, like, his hand or something, like, doing something or him telling somebody something. Well, not even just telling him, but you know, what, you know what I'm saying? Like, seeing a little bit more physical representation of him without actually being able to tell who he is, I think would have helped a little bit. I, mm, I think... Weirdly enough, the way that Kaiser Soze is dealt with and represented in this movie kind of reminds me of how David Lopan is dealt with in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. He's this villain (laughs) that everybody's always talking about him, and he's always referenced as being this powerful thing that's always there, but I don't think you quite get the sense of what kind of a threat he is for most of the movie. Like, despite the fact that they're going for this idea that he's this cloud of, like, darkness that's hanging over the proceedings of the entire film, to me, at least, he didn't really feel all that presence, all that, all that presence, all that present, or all, like, all that much of a threat for a vast majority of the movie. And I think a big part of that is that Kaiser Soze is verbal, and so we can't really see any scenes where Kaiser Soze is, like, directly addressing people or giving people orders because that would, like, lead Verbal into a trap based on the events that he's telling the policemen. So he can't really say things like that because he certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't be present for or be able to infer those events. So I think kind of partially due to the attempt to set up a twist at the end where this guy you knew all along actually was Kaiser Soze, he sort of feels... A little distant from everything. Um, I, I also feel that the idea of Kaiser Soze is maybe introduced a little bit too late to the movie. 
Um, the because there's a scene where the Hungarian criminal who's been really badly burned says Kaiser Soze's name, God and I I felt like that should have been just a few minutes sooner, um, because it feels like that's meant to be something that happens. <laughs> Kind of, like, to spark off bits of the first act. And to me, it felt just a little too late. So it felt like the train was already going, and our Kaiser Soze introduction was hurrying to jump onto the caboose. Um, so, yeah, I, I think... the I, I, I un completely understand the idea they were going for and how they were trying to represent the character, but I felt like a lot, a lot of the implementation was just a couple degrees off in places. And I think that's like like Zach. I think I think you made a good point about the twist kind of restricting how often they could show him, which is basically never. <laughs> yeah. Because um, a lot of mystery, a lot of mystery movies are not even just crime ones, but mystery ones. At least show some aspect of the actual perpetrator, no matter when it is, like some aspect of them, and and they don't just talk about them. I mean, you can talk about Kaiser Soze. You can say his name like thirty times, mm -hmm. but like once you've talked about it thirty times. You you pretty much hit the limit of the intimidation of who he is, <laughs> <laughs> like like once I heard it for the thirtieth time, I was like, okay, I understand who Kaiser Soze is. I just don't know who he is, <laughs> and that's what we're trying to figure out. And that's pretty much what the movie rides on the entire time. Uh huh. So I mean, the, the more we we can we I mean I I think what they talk about him is is somewhat interesting and somewhat intriguing. I feel like for being a character that they basically don't show is very they think they do a pretty good job, but I think it pretty much hits the limit in terms of, you know, how many times you can talk about him before he's kind of just like I really just want to figure out who he is at this point. So. Yeah. I, I really liked the kind of bit where Verbal's telling them a story about how Kaiser Sozi apparently killed his family and the gangsters that were trying to get to him. I really liked right. that bit. That yeah, bit, yeah. I think, really implemented the threat they were that they were going for for the character overall. I think if we'd had more things like that, where maybe the the usual suspects were telling stories to each other about things they'd heard Kaiser Soze did, I think that that those really would have been the tools to make him feel like a lot more of a threat. Yeah, um, definitely. Okay, that's fair. The only bit we get of Kaiser Soze that is actually genuinely verbal being Kaiser. Mm -hmm. is um, the beginning of the movie, right. of course, but yeah. actually the end of all the events, where <laughs> his, his face is obscured, and the only identifying features we get are the gold watch and the gold lighter, right. which uh, Verbal later picks up after he's released from the precinct and free to go. Yeah. Um, so that's really the only hint we get as to who he actually is, and our only glimpse as at the actual Kaiser that isn't just Verbal uh, falsifying who Kaiser actually is. Yeah. And the urine. Uh, he he, oh, he, right. he urinates right. on a stream of fire to put it out, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but Verbal later mentions how he right. used to dehydrate as a kid, and his urine once came out like as thick as snot, and just the connection wonder, between yeah. those things yeah. made me I think, I think that's hilarious. Well, that's definitely deliberate. Yeah. That's definitely I, I, deliberate. I, I, that was, I, was, I couldn't believe, like, I was thinking, why, is this director just, like, obsessed with urine or something? <laughs> like, why did they mention it two times? I was like, okay, well, uh, yeah, but that that's cool. I like that concept. But I think once I, I don't think I think it would work better if it was more fitting in the cliche in that case than trying to stray away from the, the crime thriller mystery cliche and trying to establish this twist. That's just my just my opinion, though. <laughs> <laughs> OK, um, yeah, I, I thought Kaiser worked perfectly, um, personally. 
Um, and the the only issue I have with showing more or less of Kaiser is I think that any additional bit of Kaiser as verbal might be might key the audience too much into the twist before they experience it or any additional bit of Kaiser as someone other than verbal presented by uh, verbal as a lie uh, mm-hmm. might end up confusing the audience even more um, when they're trying to piece this together. And as we're kind of going along this pattern of learning more, more bits about everyone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, okay. and, and for me, everything that they do in the movie is really deliberate. And Zach, uh, your note about um, mentioning Kaiser a little earlier. Uh, I actually kind of agree with that. I think that might be quite effective if they could do that, but I think that would come at the, um, at the expense of, the kind of establishing the group chemistry between the five, the usual suspects in the lineup. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think those are difficult things to balance. And uh, at the very least, I think that they made their decisions about those and balancing them quite deliberately. So, mm-hmm. and um, lastly, I wanted to discuss in, in greater detail, the twist itself and the ending. Um, you guys already answered whether you anticipated it or not, but mm-hmm. um did you pick up on anything? Were there any red herrings that tricked you? Did you at any point think Keaton was Kaiser? Or um, did any anyone in the lineup stick out to you as especially suspicious? And now that we're reflecting on the movie, are there any bits or, or pieces connecting with you more or less than they were before? I think if I saw this a second time, I would enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty certain I would enjoy it a second time. Not just because Christian said so, but um, <laughs> but because I think I would definitely like to pick up on the other things. It's kind of a similar way I looked at The Village, because I didn't really like The Village very much at first, but I'm seeing oh. it a few more times. I definitely picked up a lot more on the Shyamalan bits. Yeah, yeah Zach probably doesn't like that movie too much. Oh, I, I think it's uh, okay, but... but we're not talking about The Village. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but similar similar to this, I, I would... I, I'm. I'm almost certain I missed many things in this with only seeing it one time. And I know I did not know anything about the twister. I knew virtually nothing about this film. So I, I was completely raw going in pretty much except Kevin Spacey was in it. So that sad, but, um, but yeah, uh, I, I, you know, I've already kind of discussed how I pretty much feel about the twist. Um, I think it might be a little bit too overbearing and I think they pushed to it for it too hard. Um, but I, in terms of the actual execution, like I said before, I really liked the way that they did that. That was even even if you I think even if you knew Zach might be able to answer this, but I think if, even if you knew about the twist ahead of time, yeah, I still think that that was still very um, effective to some extent. Mm-hmm. But um, I did not I was not fully anticipating it. I was generally I was generally hearing a lot of the stories that um, uh, uh, Verbal was saying. And I wasn't really believing them. Like, if he was trying to tell me and I was trying to understand what he was saying and put the pieces together, it wouldn't make any sense. But I wasn't going out of my way trying to figure out if they made any sense. I was kind of just brushing them off, thinking that this is just kind of ridiculous that he's going on these, you know, these different, going through these different flashbacks and things like that, trying to convince the police of this. Um, I knew that he was an unreliable narrator, and I knew that him supposedly having cerebral palsy would be, you know, influential to his character, and I like that concept, generally. But it's really just the way that it kind of, the way that they tried to make it piece together and tried to make me intrigued in these different, you know, 
and these different stories and, and the flashbacks and things like that, I just, I was not interested in it at all. It was just very boring, and mm. I, I felt like if I really went down these rabbit holes, I would discover nothing. And it turns out that ended up being the case. <laughs> that ended up being the point of the whole film anyway. And huh. in my opinion, I do not like that. Um, but I can see how someone might. And I think if I had been more interested in those stories, and if there was, you know, if, if they were generally told more concisely, maybe then um, I might have liked them a lot better, and I would have been more intrigued and tried to believe him more so that the twist would have hit me a lot harder. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think this is a very well-executed twist. Like, like Mitchell said, I think the, the shots, uh, maybe my favorite, I mean, not my favorite scene, but my favorite shot in the whole movie is just that shot of uh, Verbal's feet as he's walking along after he gets out of the police station, and slowly mm -hmm. his, like, pace normalizes, and he starts walking without a limp. I think that's a really, really cool shot. Um, and I, I think part of maybe why this movie didn't really grab me is, is that I did know the twist. And this whole movie, I think, after a certain point, is kind of built around the idea of who is Kaiser Soze. So if you know who Kaiser Soze is, you're automatically, I think, going to get less out of it, unless you're going through it analytically, deliberately trying to pick things apart and get clues. Uh, that being said, um... There was one moment that kind of made me think, oh, well, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Verbal isn't Kaiser Soze. Uh, it was not the moment with Keaton. I thought the whole thing with the, where the detective concluded that Keaton was Kaiser Soze, I was thoroughly unconvinced by that. That didn't draw yeah. me down. <laughs> that didn't make me doubt myself at all. But I did kind of start to doubt myself when Fenster died because I thought, this is so weird that we didn't see anything of this character running away or dying. I thought, we something must have been faked, and Fenster must have been Kaiser Soze or something like that. Um, once again, I that may have been deliberate. It may not have been deliberate. I'm not sure. In interviews with like Benicio Del Toro and the writer and Brian Singer, the director, they implied that Fenster all along is kind of designed as a character just to die, to demonstrate Kaiser Soze's power, so maybe they didn't necessarily think of that as a red herring, but it, it did mm -hmm. make me doubt myself and made me think that maybe I was wrong and Fenster was Kaiser Soze, and that was some sort of a clever ploy to distract the rest of the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, the twist hit me hard on my first viewing. Um, this being my second viewing, I obviously anticipated it. Yes. But, um... I, I would personally, I did not expect to be as entertained by this movie knowing the twist, but I definitely was. And um, I, I kind of appreciated the screenplay even more because I, I, I would strongly contest the idea that this film is not concise. Because I think if you take any bit out of it, uh, whether, it's, whether it's a verbal bit that's a complete lie or a, a genuine flashback or just verbal talking to the officer... I, I do not think it flows as naturally, and I don't think that the twist and everything leading up to it meshes as well. I think, e at the very least, everything that they do is very deliberate and intentional, and uh, for that, I, I greatly appreciate the movie. That's probably the main reason why I love it, and um, I think a lot of your guys' critiques um, are, are valid, but are conceptual in their nature, meaning that... Um, the, the approach that the movie takes, and if you guys disagree with that approach, then naturally it's going to be hard to enjoy yes. almost any other part of the movie. So, um, sort of similar to how Zach and I felt about the final countdown, maybe. Um, maybe, yeah. Yeah. So, with that being said, uh, I, I think 
I I've hit everything I want to hit, unless you guys have any final comments. Nothing for me. Three out of five. Um, even though I wasn't totally blown away by it, I'd recommend everybody check it out. Uh, you, you may very well be blown away by it. Yes, I also agree, even though I'm a two and a half. Because Zach gave it a three, I had to give it a two and a half. I'm just kidding. Um, I think there's a lot to definitely like in this movie, and it definitely comes down to personal preference. And there are some films that are not down to personal preference, I should say. I, I should say. But um, I, I didn't want my rating to really like be like a personal, just solely like my personal opinion. Like, I, ooh, I don't think they should have done that. I feel like I feel like there are some things that could have been a lot better quality. I think would have appealed to a lot more people and would have been more formally appealing, and it would have would have been a lot less a lot less risk would have been taken. So I can definitely appreciate the director took that huge risk with that because there's a lot that they have to throw away to make sure that the twist works. Mm. And I think the twist is a good twist conceptually. I think that when they reveal the twist, it's very well executed. Um, but beyond that, I just did not find the plot very interesting. I feel like there was way too many, you know, trails to follow, and I ultimately was disinterested. So, two out of five. But you should definitely check it out if you have the time. Yeah, I would definitely say this movie requires a lot of your attention. But if you are willing to give it your attention and follow the things that the characters are saying... Um, it's it's a, basically an hour and 45 minutes. So if you have the, the attention span and the desire to pay attention to it, then I think pretty much anyone can get a lot out of viewing it, whether they love it or not. Uh, I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. Um, are you guys ready for the rundown? I'm, I'm ready, coach. Put me in the game. All right. <laughs> one minute. to sit this one out, Zach. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, no. Um, we, we will say things at Zach about the movie we just discussed, and Zach will respond with a rating out of five, and that is that. Um, Mitchell, are you ready to start us off? Yeah. All right. Uh, three, two, one, go. Flashbacks. Three out of five. The lineup. Four out of five. Pete Postlethwaite as Mr. Kobayashi. Four out of five. The Barbershop Quartet in Skokie, Illinois. Three out of five. Handing over the effing case. Three out of five. Not handing over the effing case. Two out of five. New York accents. Three out of five. One cannot be betrayed if one has no people. Three out of five. Kaiser Soze. Four out of five. Benicio Del Toro as Fenster. Three out of five. Knowing names of people that know things and did crimes and cuss a lot. Three out of five. Not believing in God, but fearing him. Three out of five. No smoking near the Hungarian burn victim. Three out of five. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled, convincing the world he did not exist. Four out of five. Telling a convoluted story to the cops that genuinely sounds made up. Four out of five. Gabriel Byrne as Dean Keaton. Four out of five. No dope on the boat. Three out of five. And that is time. Beautiful. Oh, wow. We blistered through wow. those. Yeah. Yes, we did. Wow. All right, I'm going to hand it off to Zach. To get over the case. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, dear listeners. Uh, next episode oh. is going to be the last episode I host of the show for season one. And I had oh. quite a run around. <laughs> I had quite a, quite a run around deciding what film would be my final selection. Uh, originally, I was going to go with the 1980 science fiction horror film Altered States, but that became <laughs> unavailable. So I decided I would go with the 1980 effects driven horror film uh, From Beyond. And that yeah. became unavailable. Uh. So finally, I decided, you know, why don't we watch something I've been meaning to get around to for a while, but just haven't been able to due to 
you know, circumstances. And I can think of no better way to watch this film than discussing it with my two buds. So next mm -hmm. time, we're yeah. going to be talking about the 1921 Swedish ghost film, The oh, Phantom God. Carriage. Oh, uh, no! This is a really, really influential <laughs> movie. I've been meaning to watch it for a long, long time, and I can't wait to talk about it with you guys. So tune in next time if you want to hear us talk about that. All right, I'll see you in the 20s, boys. All right, then. Um, thank you for that, Zach. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, this has been Cookie Pocket, an attempt at a podcast. Once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, be sure to tune in next time. And uh, stay out of Kaiser Soze's crosshairs if you can. Mm-hmm.